Does, if anybody needs one of the uh, handouts to take notes on and to just kind of follow with, let John know he will find his way to you. I've got to tell you tonight, though, that uh, the clock on the back wall isn't working, uh, so we could be here a while. Uh, I told, I told Reagan, I said, if it gets to be about you know, 10 till 7 and I don't seem like I'm coming to any sort of conclusion, just start doing this back there. So, so I've, I've got a good, a good warning system there. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at the Gospels tonight and how do, we, how do we really get the most out of reading the Gospel stories uh, when, we, when we approach them. And I, I want to start out just by reminding you that much of what was said uh, about the other literature in the Bible is obviously still true. We read the Gospels just as we would read any part of Scripture. We read it in awe and on our knees, uh, you know, with a critical mind, but with prayer as well. To understand anything that we read in the Word of God, we need to realize it is the Word of God. And we need to humble ourselves and open ourselves up to what the Word of God is telling us. And that is true of the Gospels, just as it's true of the Old Testament narratives, just as it's true of the Psalms and of all of the rest of Scripture. It is God's revelation of Himself. Uh, therefore, he's always the main character. When we move into the New Testament, when we move into the Gospels, Jesus becomes the main character. And everything in there somehow is related to him. It is uh, God's revelation of his purpose. Remember when the whole sweep of the, of the Bible from creation clear to eternity the, the consummation of the ages, uh, it is all about God's plan and his plan of redemption and of create, recreation. Uh, and how does, even within the Gospels, how does that fit into it? Uh, and being his revelation of his actions, he's the hero. And again, in the Gospels, we're now in the New Testament. It is Jesus who is the hero of the story throughout the Gospels. In fact, each of the Gospels really is, in one way or another, the story of Jesus. Um, but when we read the Gospels, actually when we read much of Scripture, particularly those of us who have been, have been raised in church and have been in Sunday school our whole lives and we've, we've heard the Gospel story and, and we know this and we've heard We've read the Christmas story out of Luke for umpteen years, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It creates a problem for us because we're too familiar with it. We're familiar with the content. So as we're reading it, we're like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, and we want to skip ahead. And then we, we don't read it as it was intended and as it was written, which was written to people who may have heard it, but hadn't ever had it really laid out in this form. Um, we want to jump to the ending of the Gospels, don't we? I mean, we know the Gospels, and what do we want to jump? We want to jump to the resurrection. 
I mean, that's, it all points there, I know that, and it does all point there. But when you read it, the next time you sit down to read one of the Gospels, read it as if you didn't know the end of the story. And let the story unfold for you as you're reading through it. The other problem we have with the familiarity is we're familiar with all the characters. You've got a picture in your mind of who Jesus is. I don't mean a physical picture, but you've got a relationship with him. You know him, you've heard about him your whole life. And so when you read what's in the gospel, there's no surprise there for you. Read it as if you've read it for the first time. Let the surprises happen. Because really, each thing in there is a surprise. It's new to the people who read it for the first time. But not only is familiarity a problem for us, but so is unfamiliarity. We read the Gospels just as when we read any of the other books of the Bible, and we do it not thinking about the context of it. We don't think about when it was written, who it was written to, and, and all of that, and we miss a lot because we aren't familiar with the context. Uh, you can become familiar with the context with a good study, and I, you don't have to have in-depth knowledge of it, but with a, good, with a good study Bible, usually there's an introduction that will help you put that particular gospel story into context. Uh, you, you, you can actually, I mean, online now, there are many good commentaries and, and good places online you can find, and they'll, they'll give you some of that context as to when it was written, who the audience was, uh, and, the, and kind of the, the background thinking behind the gospel. Um, we're not familiar really unless you've studied it with the purpose. You know, they each have a different purpose. Matthew was writing with a specific purpose. Mark was writing with a specific purpose. Luke was writing with a specific purpose. Yes, all of them had, and even John, all of them had the purpose of telling the story of Jesus, but their more precise purposes shape what they included in the story and what they didn't. John's very open about that when he says, hey, if everything Jesus did was included, the world couldn't hold all the books that would be written. So we know that each of them selected certain parts of the life of Jesus to tell us in their gospel. And when we really look at it, we can begin to understand more the purpose of their writing it by which stories they included and which ones they didn't, and even the, the language that they use as they write those stories. Um, we're not real familiar with the, the audience either. Uh, I mean, how many of you know a first century Roman? Mike, do you, I mean, no, we don't, we, we, the, it's hard for us sometimes to understand the context and the people who these were written to, because they were written to specific audiences, really. Uh, they, Matthew, when he's writing, had something and some people specifically in mind, and he was writing to address them from their perspective. Mark and Luke and John all had that same thing. When we speak of the Gospels, everyone knows there's four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call the synoptic Gospels. That means the same view or the same perspective. Why? Because they're much alike. They tell the story of Jesus 
pretty much in a narrative form, although different selection of, of particular stories, but, but they, you can lay them more or less side by side. Some tell things that the others don't, but they, they pretty much line up, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is in a different world altogether. John's gospel was written for a different purpose, for a different audience, and from a different perspective. And yet it is the story of Jesus. And therefore it too is the good news of Jesus Christ, which is what gospel means, good news. And each of them are sharing that good news from their own perspectives. Um, what I've done on this, this, these notes I've given you have, is kind of gone through to make some specific points about each one of them. And then what I want to do is we're going to go back and we're going to read just a little bit of the beginning of each of the Gospels. And you'll see a lot of what these points make. And I'm hoping that through this exercise that you'll be able to, on your own, begin to read the Gospels afresh and read them as if you've never read them before and really discover who Jesus is from each of their perspectives. So God, in his wisdom, gave us this, these Gospels using, as he did with all of the authors of all of Scripture, using the experiences and personalities of these four men to write about Jesus from different perspectives, from different backgrounds, for different purposes, in order to give us a bigger picture and a better picture of Jesus than we could get if we only had one of the Gospels. They don't correct each other, but they give us a fuller picture of who someone is. Uh, you know, have you ever tried to find out about somebody? You know, you, if, if, I, if I want to find out more about, about Mike Smith, you know, I can talk to Carol. I'll get a picture of Mike. Then I can talk maybe to, to somebody else who's known Mike for a long time, somebody that he's worked with for years and years maybe. I'm going to get probably a little different picture than I get from Carol. And if I find, and I don't know, if I find a, a brother of Mike's, which he doesn't have, right? But if I found one, <laughs> I'd get a little different picture. Are any of them inaccurate? No. But together, you begin to get a fuller picture of the person. And God, in his wisdom, has given us four different looks at Jesus and the life of Jesus so that we can put together a fuller picture of who he is, what he did, and why he did it. And that's really what the, what the Gospels are about. Matthew, let's look first and just think about Matthew. Matthew is known as the Gospel of the King or the Gospel of Messiah and of his kingdom. As you read through the, the book of Matthew, as you read his Gospel, you'll, you'll discover phrases like, the kingdom of God is at hand. You'll see more references to the kingdom of God than you do in the other Gospels. You'll see the, the King Jesus, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. All, Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. So in Matthew, he doesn't explain any of the, the Jewish uh, traditions and the, the, he makes reference to them, 
but he doesn't explain them. Why? He's writing to an audience that already understands it. On the other hand, we'll find the, some of that Mark doesn't do that. Uh, but any math, let's stick with my, I'm going to try to keep myself on track rather than jumping back and forth between them. So Matthew's writing the gospel of the king, the gospel of the Messiah. He's writing to a Jewish audience. He, he doesn't explain the, Jew, the Jewish customs. He's writing in order to preserve the teaching of Jesus. And his whole gospel, his whole gospel points forward not just to the resurrection, but to the Great Commission. In the Old Testament, what did God tell us was the purpose of the Jewish people? To bless all, through them, all of the nations would be blessed, right? Remember that was the, in Genesis, that's what God spoke about through the, the Jewish people, the people he was creating, that all the nations would be blessed. What's the beginning of the Great Commission? Make disciples of what? All the nations, all the peoples. Matthew was writing to Jews who knew that that was their calling that they had not fulfilled. And he was showing them that in their Messiah, all of the world would be blessed. And he challenges, really, with that great commission to fulfill that responsibility. Matthew was written between A.D. 65 and 70, I believe. Some think it was written later, but he doesn't mention the destruction of Jerusalem. And since Matthew's focus is really in, even in the stories of Jesus, he focuses more on the Judean ministry and what goes on in Jerusalem. If it had been destroyed, there's no question Matthew would have included it. So Matthew's gospel had to have been written sometime before A.D. 70, probably between 65 and 70. The author is Matthew, Levi. The other gospels refer to him as Levi. He refers to himself as Matthew. When did Levi become Matthew? When he was called by Christ, just as Saul became Paul. So Matthew's writing with, with that in mind. Uh, he was an apostle and a tax collector. Uh, he's the only one that tells some, a couple of the stories that are very specific about the collection of the tax, about the, what's on a coin. Uh, Matthew was very focused on some of those things. That was his profession. Matthew, though, did likely have access to Mark's gospel. Mark was, I believe, now some will dispute this and say that the Gospels were written in the order that they're in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. I think the evidence is stronger that Mark was written first and that both Matthew and Luke had Mark available when they wrote their Gospels. The reason that we think that is because almost everything that is in Mark is also in Matthew and Luke, and it follows pretty much Mark's order and things like that. So we think that for, for that reason, but also uh, because Mark um, is writing from really the perspective of Peter. And we find as we're reading in 1st and 2nd Peter and as we're reading in Acts, Mark was likely with Peter in Rome when Peter was executed, when he was imprisoned and then executed, and 
many scholars, and I agree with them, think that Mark was writing this to preserve Peter's telling of the story of Jesus. And there's, it's an interesting, uh, when you think of it that way, you know, Peter calls Mark his son. Uh, we know that Mark was with Peter at those points. So it, I think it's very likely there. But Mark was writing from Rome to those in Rome. And Mark, think about, think about Peter. What kind of a man was Peter? We think of Peter as a, a man of action, don't we? Peter was the one who just, let's get it done, right? Mark, in his story of Jesus in the gospel, shows him as a man of action. Mark often uses throughout there, his, his favorite word is immediately or uh, straight away. As you're reading the gospel of Mark, you'll see Jesus does something and Mark says, then immediately he goes and does this. And immediately he goes and does that. Mark was writing about, uh, about Jesus and his work in the world. He was showing what Jesus did. Uh, he, he was writing primarily to a Gentile community uh, there in Rome, I think. He was writing from Rome to Romans. Uh, and, and who, you know, Matthew we know was an apostle chosen by Jesus. Mark uh, was, I believe, and, and again, the evidence is there for it, was John Mark. This, he was this young man. If you remember the young guy at the arrest of Jesus when, the, when they're in the garden and the guards are grabbing the, the followers of Jesus and it says they, they grab one and he took off in his underwear? That, that was probably John Mark. Uh, it was probably Mark who wrote this gospel. He was a young man who had been there at that time. The early disciples gathered in his mother's home. Remember the, when, when, when they're having the prayer meeting and Peter comes out from being imprisoned and they've been praying for him to be released and he comes to the door? That was John Mark's mother's home. Uh, he accompanied Paul and Barnabas. He accompanied Peter. Um, in their ministry. In fact, Mark was the reason that Peter, or that, I'm sorry, that Paul and Barnabas separated. At one point, Paul got, didn't want Mark with them because Mark, you know, was kind of a mama's boy. He went home, and Paul thought that was just wrong of him to do that, but Barnabas, who was likely also Mark's cousin, uh, kind of took him under his wing and did continue to do ministry with him, and later on, Paul asks that Mark be sent to him. And he was restored in that relationship and became a partner in ministry again. Peter calls Mark his son in 1 Peter 5.13. And the early church fathers all believed that uh, Mark was the interpreter of Peter. In other words, he took what Peter had preached and the stories that Peter had told him and he wrote that down for the church there in Rome either during the time of Peter's imprisonment or shortly after his death. But Mark was likely the first of the Gospels, written as early as 50 to 55 A.D. Very, I mean, within decades of the resurrection. Matthew, that's, you've heard about, written to the Jewish people. Mark, written to the Gentiles there in Rome, 
Luke comes at it again from a different perspective, even of those. Luke is writing, and if you want to turn to Luke, uh, the first chapter, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, in other words, Luke's saying, hey, there's already some documents here telling the stories of about what Jesus has done and about what he's done among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So Luke's saying, oh, there's eyewitnesses who have seen this. They've given us some of this. They've, they've done it. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Luke's more of the scholar of any of them. Luke was likely a physician, likely a, a Gentile. I say likely because there are some who think he was a Hellenistic Jew or a Jew of, of Greek culture, but they're in agreement that it was Luke the physician who wrote this. He was writing this to Theophilus, who either was an individual named Theophilus, or what that name also means is lover of God. And he might have been writing it to uh, just to a group or to a church or to gener generic lovers of God. Personally, I believe he was writing to someone named Theophilus. Most of the early church fathers believe so as well. I don't see any reason really to question that. But he's writing to reinforce the teachings of those eyewitnesses and other witnesses and saying he wants you to know the exact truth. So Luke is writing very much to reinforce the truth that you have been taught. Okay? Is right, likely written between 60 and 65 AD. He too would have had Mark there as part of his research. Uh, many think that Luke also was able to talk with Mary and he interviewed eyewitnesses. Uh, he was a serious historian as he wrote his gospel. Uh, Luke's interest, as you read that, is the Jesus of history. He wants to tell the story factually from history. Uh, if you look, and we, we'll look in just a minute at the, at the early uh, chapters, at, at the, uh, how, what they include in it and where they start their gospels, and you'll, you'll be able to see that a little bit. Um, What else? Luke, I'm, I'm, I'm looking back at my notes because I got myself off track. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> We've got that. Okay. Um, John. John is a whole different character. Um, John, do you remember what John's nickname was? He was one of two brothers that were called what? The Sons of Thunder. I, I just, I want you to think, okay, Matthew starts his gospel with this wonderful geolo ge geology, genealogy of Jesus that goes back to David. Mark begins his gospel really with 
in, in Jerusalem and with John the Baptist. Luke tells his story uh, that he wants to go, you know, from the, from the beginning of, of what he tells and, and he's want to do it in order. Uh, and then we come to John. John, the son of thunder. And it is like a thunderclap that he begins his gospel. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. John doesn't care a whit about genealogy, does he? He's going back to eternity past. John is concerned about Jesus as the eternal God. His, his gospel is about the deity of Jesus about Jesus as the Son of God, about the deity of Christ. He wrote his gospel separately from the other three. He may have had access to them. He probably did. But John is writing from his own insight and his own time with Christ. He wrote it probably somewhere between 85 and 100 A.D., uh, 30 to 40 years after the other gospels were written. His purpose, he states clearly, in chapter 20, uh, verses 30 and 31, he's, he's speaking here. He says, Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Not satisfied with just Messiah, as Matthew would have been, the Son of God, John is writing about, and that believing you may have life in his name, a boldness in his gospel, a, a boldness about who Jesus is, what he did. He speaks of him as the Lamb of God. He speaks of him as the Son of God. His interest is in the eternal Christ. Four very different Gospels written really about the same person, Jesus Christ, written from four unique perspectives, written to slightly different audiences, but written for us that we may know Jesus in his fullness, that we may know him as Messiah that we may know him as the Jesus of history, that we may know him as the eternal Christ, that we may know him personally, uh, that we may know him of his work that continues today. So when you read the Gospels, again, don't just pick at verses. Don't just take a, a verse here that's meaningful and a verse there that's meaningful. Read the chunks that are big enough to tell a whole story. There are different stories embedded within each of the gospel stories. But think about who wrote them, about who they were writing to, and about their purpose. You'll begin to, to see and you'll recognize those clues. Um, let's look at Matthew. Matthew. 
the first 17 verses of the Gospel of Matthew is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. We already know by that, just by those two verses, we're in Jewish territory here, right? The son of Abraham. Uh, Matthew doesn't go back beyond Abraham. And he doesn't start later than Abraham. He starts with the son of Abraham. The son of David. Old Testament told them that the Messiah was going to be what? Son of David. He would be a king in the lineage of David. He would be of the tribe of Judah. He would be a son of Abraham. Matthew's genealogy starts right there. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham, and notice the switch. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Matthew's writing right there in those two brief verses about many of the prophecies of the coming Messiah from the Old Testament that Jesus fulfills. In Matthew, if you are alert to it as you're reading it, he over and over again shows that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Um, he, he will say, as it was written, boom. He was as the prophets foretold, boom. And he shows how Jesus was that. And he brings that all the way down to verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And he goes on and he shows the virgin birth of Jesus. And then Matthew continues to unfold the truth that Jesus was born a king who became our savior. And he starts with the very beginning, with the magi coming. What were they coming to see? Were they coming to see the savior of the world? No. They didn't have a clue. They were coming to see the king of the Jews. And as, as that story unfolds, if you read it as if you didn't know the end, you would see these clues. Oh, he's a king. He's this. He's doing this. Until finally you would come to the realization that he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Mark begins his gospel differently. Why? Because Mark's not concerned with showing that Jesus was necessarily the son of Abraham or even of David. Mark jumps into it because he's primarily uh, writing to a Gentile audience. Mark jumps into it to show what Jesus did. If you look here at the beginning, he does begin to speak of the prophecy the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as, is, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Isn't it odd 
that the first prophecy that Mark refers to isn't a prophecy of Jesus, but a prophecy of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ. So Mark's laying a very different groundwork here. He's, he's got a very different path. He says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he, he goes on and then he introduces Jesus. And look at verse 10. Immediately, coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. Look down at verse 18. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, as you're reading, uh, reading through Mark, verse 20, immediately he called them. Uh, you go through there and you think, man, that was one busy day. But the immediately there doesn't necessarily mean that it happened right then. Mark was just using that to show the, the things that Jesus did, moving very rapidly from one thing that Jesus did to another, because his interest was what? To show that Jesus was at work in the world and showing his work in the world at that time. Uh, turn to Luke. Actually, for Luke, what I want to look at, and now I've got to find it again. There it is. Uh, rather than begin, well, I've already read kind of the introduction of Luke. You, you've looked at that and how he says he used uh, eyewitnesses and other documents, and Luke pulled together his gospel. He speaks of the, the birth of Jesus, uh, and it's interesting there how much he talks about Mary in there, which is part why they think that Mary probably, that Jesus, or that, that Luke may have interviewed Mary. But I want you to turn to chapter 3, beginning in verse 23. And I want you to look at the genealogy of Jesus that Luke includes. In verse 23 of chapter 3, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of... And then he goes on backwards in the genealogy and works his way all the way up. Look at verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke's not concerned with Jesus' Jewishness. In fact, he follows the line there. Uh, you, you see him follow the line all the way up to Adam. Adam was not Jewish. There wasn't such a thing yet. Luke was writing about Jesus uh, as really the universal Savior, the universal Messiah, uh, the one who, who came to save the whole world. Uh, Luke wasn't concerned about Jesus' Jewishness, really. Uh, Luke himself was a Gentile, I believe, and he was writing to show that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah for all. And John, I got to confess, John is my favorite gospel. I love the boldness of John. 
the intimacy that John writes with, um, highlighting the deity of Christ, the hardest thing, I think, for us as, as modern people, as modern Western-minded intellectual people, is for us to accept the deity of Christ. Even if we can accept the Jesus of history, even if we can accept the, the, the Jewish Jesus, we've got to accept Jesus as the eternal Son of God. And John, this, this son of thunder, with that, that wonderful, wonderful opening of his, in the beginning was the word. I, just a quick comment there on, on just that phrase. Um, in the Greek, there's, they, there's, uh, there is no the in that sentence. It just says, in beginning, God. It doesn't say in the, and that you, they could have written it as in the beginning, God. But in most of the early manuscripts, it just says, in beginning, God. You know, and I, and I think, well, okay, in beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In beginning. And I, I think of that, and I think, what, what, what's the difference there? Um, I, I don't know, it just somehow seems to be more powerful to think in beginning. Just beginning of everything. There was nothing before that beginning. Genesis is written the same way. In the Hebrew, in the beginning, God. And this, as John's writing this, I think brings all of that to mind. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, in relationship with the Father. And yet he was God, it tells us. What a powerful, powerful way to start the story of Jesus. Why? Because his story began before the beginning, he already was, and he is, and he will be Messiah, King, Savior, and God. Um, as you look at the Gospels, try reading them like you've never read them before, and let those stories unfold in your heart and in your mind as you read each one. Do you have any questions? I'll, I'll open it up just for an easy question or two. If not, we'll, we'll pray and then we'll, we'll be done. Oh, Dr. Garrett, no! <laughs> yes! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a very good question. And some people do think that, particularly with John, uh, that they may have been collected or, or from various writings. I think that there's, there is enough evidence to state, to say that they were written as documents. They were gathered together, they were, they, they were written they were routed to the churches. The churches got their hands on them and hung on to them. I do not think that they were put together by a group after the lives of the authors who wrote them. I think they were originally written by the ones who we claim wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
and they were written in their entirety and, and preserved and saved by the church. Yes. Yeah, I think Mark, again, I think Mark wrote first. I think Matthew had Mark's. He wasn't writing to correct it, but he was writing to a different audience, so he, he filled it out more with the, the things that were pointed more to a Jewish audience. I, I think Luke then was going back and trying to, trying to fill all of that even further along. And again, John's a completely different one, but, but I, there, there, was, there was interplay, uh, and the churches gathering it would have had the documents there themselves, too. They may have had Matthew and Mark at the same time. Um, and, and like you said, we see them as complementary. I, I think that was God's intent. I, don't, I never know if I'm answering your question, am I? Right. 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 And and I think it took it took time for those documents to move from one place to it. They didn't, you know, they they didn't have email. They couldn't send it. They they had to be hand copied. They had to be transported physically by someone carrying it from one church to another. Then they would have to make a copy in order for them to hang on to it. And that's how, I mean, that took decades. So it was a period of time as they were gathered together by the church. It took, in fact, centuries for the church as a whole to finally realize, well, hey, we've got four gospels. Let's, you know, let's canonize those. Uh, but yeah, it was a process over time, partly because of the distances, uh, the difficulty of travel, the difficulty of copying things. Yeah. Mike. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, certainly, certainly there, there was. I mean, the, the, the message of Christ was shared orally, and I think that was why they ended up, Matthew, I mean, why they, Mark started to write it was because, okay, these stories are being told, but we need to preserve them as well. And I think that's why each of the Gospels were written, to preserve accurately what, what ha actually had gone on. Yeah. yeah. But we've got to remember when we say that, when we say that they were shared orally, we've got to remember, too, the culture of that time, and really in any pre-literate culture, Oral tradition carries from generation to generation much more accurately than it does today. In our culture, we, we play telephone and within five minutes we've distorted a story. In pre-literate cultures, that's not true. That story is told word for word from generation to generation and remembered from generation to generation. Uh, so that, and this was a, basically a pre-literate culture, an oral culture. Yeah. This is hard. If it gets too hard, I'm going to make you submit it for November. Yeah. Uh, 
Some think that Matthew was written in Hebrew, but I, the, the evidence of that's pretty slim. Uh, they were all written in Greek. Greek, Greek was the language of trade. It was the, basically the, the universal language in that area. Um, Matthew does include some Aramaic phrases. Things like that are in there, but, and some think, uh, and, and will say, no, Matthew was written in Hebrew first, and what we have was a Greek translation. The evidence of that's pretty slim, but I won't be dogmatic about it. But Greek, Greek was the language of the day. It was the language that they wrote in. It was the language that was used in the market. It was the language of business. Uh, so I, the Greek manuscripts are what, we've, what we have. We have no, nothing in Hebrew or Aramaic. There are, there are some Syriac uh, manuscripts that are quite old as well. Okay, good. We're done. Oh, Ray. Because John wasn't concerned with temporal things. John was writing about the eternal Christ. And John wasn't in Jerusalem. He was probably in Ephesus when he was writing. Um, yes. No, he was Christian and had been, and had been for most of his life by then. <laughs> mm -hmm.